Good morning. I'm not sure exactly how this morning's going to go. Been, uh, we had an awesome move um, last weekend. We moved from uh, Walton Park over into Harbor Point, part of Brander Mill, and had a lot of folks, you guys, help out in many ways, and we were really super appreciative of that. Uh, immediately got bronchitis this week and was in and out of bed all week. Um, I've got some handwritten notes today, and I forgot my Bible, so uh, that's, uh, that's how it's going so far. I got my iPad, though. And uh, James is up there ready to go. So um, we are going to uh, continue our series on the one another's. And uh, it's been a great series. Uh, I love as we look to the scriptures and we see how the gospel enables us to live amongst one another, to love one another, to care for and encourage one another. Uh, in a life that has been um, infected and racked by sin and can be so difficult at times, we, we need one another. Um, and we need uh, believers in our lives because that's how the Holy Spirit works, to encourage us. So uh, this morning we're going to look uh, at a passage uh, in Romans. And uh, the verse that we're going to sort of key around is uh, living in harmony with one another. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to go ahead and read the whole, uh, whole of chapter 12. And it's interesting, uh, Andrew and I were uh, taught and uh, prepared how to preach uh, in a very specific way uh, in seminary. And uh, one of those things, you, you probably noticed that as we've, we have similar uh, format kind of, uh, although different... Um, different ways of communicating, but there's, there's something called uh, il- exposition, illustration, and application, and that's sort of how uh, we take a look at the text. We, ex- we uh, exposit it, then we illustrate it, and then we uh, apply it, and it's interesting. Sometimes you run across a passage of Scripture that doesn't need a lot of explanation <clears throat> because what it is saying is so crystal clear and uh, so clearly applicable in and of itself. And uh, this is one of those chapters. So um, let me pray for us. Lord uh, God in heaven, we thank you for this morning. I pray that uh, your word will just come alive to us today. Help us to see um, how you have loved us even in the midst of our rebellion, even in the midst of of us being your enemies. You have loved us and and brought us into a relationship with you that brings harmony. And now you call us to live not just in harmony with you, but with one another. Help us to understand what that means and how we can do that today. By the power of Christ living in us, we pray. Amen. So let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 12. So just, you know, sometimes we, we read a little a passage that's a little bit longer. That's okay. We just have to concentrate a little bit more and, uh, and, and pay close attention. So before I get there, though, I want to give you the context of, of where we're at in Romans chapter 12. So Romans, the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul, has 16 chapters. Chapters 1 through 11 is basically a theological treatise on our uh, foundational understanding of 
having faith in Christ, that we are made righteous by our faith. The righteous will live by faith. So Romans 1 through 11 uh, has a lot of theology in it, helps us understand that we've been reconciled back into a right relationship with God. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then now, uh, Romans chapter 12 through 16 gives some very, very specific, applicable um, ways in which we can live out this life, that, this new life that we have. And so that's where we come to Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Okay, so that, that, that one phrase is summarizing all of chapters 1 through 11. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me, given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more Think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's amazing, right? There's this long litany of verses that tell us how we should live. And um, <clears throat> what I want to do is I want to take a quick look at what it means to live in harmony with one another. And then I want to tell you this really cool story from the Old Testament. So the verse that we're exposing today in our One Another series is live in harmony with one another. 
But it's that section uh, that we just read in verses 14 to 21 that helps us sort of flesh it out. And, you know, when I hear the command, live in harmony with one another, I immediately think then there must be disharmony somewhere, right? That this seems to be where, mine, where my mind goes. If, if, if there's a commandment to live in harmony, then there must be some sort of opposite issue going on about how we tend to not live in harmony, or else why would we have the encouragement? And, you know, the the truth is, if you've ever been in a relationship at all with anyone, you've experienced some sort of conflict. You've experienced some sort of unharmonious situation. And so, what does this passage tell us to do with those who I am not in harmony with? Especially... It even gets into thinking and helping us think about persecutors, those who are evil, those who hurt us and our enemies. And I think one of the reasons Paul points this out is, hey, look, if you can get along with those people, you can certainly get along with your, your family and friends and your neighbors. That would be a breeze. If you can live in harmony with your enemies— so how do we do this? Uh, <clears throat> how do we live in harmony with someone who we disagree with? Just, just a couple quick points I want to mention. The first of all is that we have to be mindful that God lives with us when we were his enemies. Right? I mean, th- th- this is the gospel. That we, we were enemies of God. We were living in active rebellion, pushing God away, running away from God. And he chose to draw us to himself. He didn't push us away. He didn't leave us to our own devices. He chose to pursue us. And so that, that's something we have to be mindful of. That's sort of the foundation when, when we think about how we're going to apply something is, how has God treated me? How has Jesus loved me? How has he acted towards me? And when we understand that on a deep level, then that's going to transform how we love and treat and act towards other people. Jesus reconciled us through sacrifice. And it will take sacrifice on our part to live in harmony with others. Right? That's, that's a, it's a huge part here that Jesus didn't just, you know, he, he didn't just say words, but he actually lived this out. He didn't just reconcile with words, but he, he reconciled with his actions of living a perfect life, of, of, of dying on a cross in a way that was more painful and torturous than any of us have, have ever gone through. He sacrificed himself for us. And we have to understand that in order for us to live in harmony with other people, it's going to take sacrifice on our part. We're going to have to give up something. And then the other thing that the passage points out is that our posture is 
all about humility, love, and compassion. You know, it says, live in harmony with one another. And let's go back to verse uh, 16, I think it is, James. Be great. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So our position and our posture is one of, not of pride in bringing together parties that are just in disagreement, us and someone else. But it's one of humility and compassion and kindness. And again, this is exhibited by Jesus himself and how he treats us. You read the Gospels. So actually, um, we are going to do an all-church study, uh, at least community groups and some Bible studies, and we're going to talk about it, uh, uh, a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland coming this fall. So a uh, publisher has offered to give us over 200 free books. And I thought, hey, then let's read these, this book together. It's all about Jesus and his character and how he is um, gentle and lowly in spirit. It would be a great study for us. So that's, that's something for us to look forward to. And that is our posture as we come to one another uh, to create harmony, to reconcile with one another. And it's Jesus living inside us that enables us to do that. And this passage also, I think, causes us to go back to Matthew um, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus uh, is giving instructions about how to live in the kingdom of God harmoniously. What does the kingdom of God look like? What does it look like for us as a family of believers to live reconciled to God and to one another? Let me read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. It's pretty clear. Again, you'll, you'll, you'll see the, the comparison between Romans 12 and this. This is Jesus speaking. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which, by the way, hold on, is not a Bible verse. That is a, love, love your neighbor is a Bible verse. Hate your enemy is not a Bible verse. It's, it is a pharisaical saying, extra biblical saying. You've heard that it was said, sorry, go back. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus lays it out before us. Love your enemies. Don't hate them. Those who are closest to me know that I like to avoid conflict. Right? 
Um, I'm more of a peacemaker, a nine on the Enneagram, if you will. Uh, And I hear other people say similar things like, I hate conflict. I really don't know many people who actually do like conflict, honestly. And I would suggest that if you love conflict, then that might be a red flag in your spiritual life. You should stop and ask yourself, why do you love conflict? Why would you enjoy it? Is it because you like it because it gives you a chance to prove that you're right? Or even worse, uh, to use it to hurt someone or to, to demean someone. Conflict is, is not the way God intended for things to be. Harmony, reconciliation, loving one another, forgiveness, that's how things are supposed to go. Now, living in harmony does not mean ignoring sin and not confronting others at times, but rather trying to mediate or reconcile and bless one another in the process of all that. Blessing others may mean exposing their sin and calling someone to repentance. Think about Jesus on the cross when he prayed, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. On the cross, his enemies have literally nailed him there. He is dying, gasping for breath, barely able to talk. And what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, what they're doing. Verse 18 in Romans 12 says, as far as it depends on you, we have a responsibility to seek the welfare of others. We have a responsibility to seek harmonious relationships. We have the responsibility on our part to carry out what God has called us to do. Now, we do that in faith. It takes faith to know and to believe that this is what God wants us to do and how we're able to do it. Well, I I thought I'd share a story that I heard this week uh, to sort of illustrate what we're talking about. And um, the story came about uh, in our Friday morning Bible study. So, I've said over again, it's one of my favorite times of the week. I I didn't miss it this week. I was feeling sick. I said, I'm going. I went. I came home, went back to bed afterwards. But I'm so glad I didn't miss it. So, I meet with some guys on Friday mornings. And this week, it was uh, uh, what we've been doing lately is uh, I just ask one of the other guys, I say, okay, you pick the passage this week, you come, and we, we walk through the gospel-centered Bible study method together, and then they, we use that as we go through it. And so we, we don't know until um, the night before what the passage is going to be, so that uh, the, the point being, there's, there's not a whole lot of preparation, because uh, we want to just kind of take a fresh look at it together. So Parker Eads shows up this, this week with um, a passage out of 2 Kings chapter 5 that I'm sure I read at some point in my life, but I don't remember it very well. And it's the story of Naaman the leper. 
So Naaman was uh, uh, an army general in, in the Syrian army. Okay? Now, <clears throat> back in the day, uh, Syria and Israel were enemies. Okay? And uh, this is during the, the time of the prophet Elisha. So Naaman has leprosy. And, of course, you know, he, he knows he's probably going to die of it. Uh, but he, he's wealthy. He's, he's this amazing military general who has lots of victories under his belt. And, and he'd love to be healed. Well, one day, this slave girl that lives in his house says, Hey, I know someone who might be able to heal you. Now, the slave girl was an Israelite girl who had been taken captive during one of the raids that Syria had on Israel. Okay, so periodically, as nations war and fight, they would raid one another, and at some point, Syria had raided Israel, captured some people, this little girl being one of them, hauled her back, and she was now a slave in his household. She says to... to to Naaman, I know a guy, a prophet in Israel who might be able to heal you. And so Naaman thinks, great, I'm going to go to him. But, but even that part of the story seems odd because the, Syria and Israel are enemies. So what does Naaman do? How does he do this? Well, uh, according to Parker, he, picks, he, he puts together about a million dollars worth of gold and silver, okay? And he decides, I'm going to go find this prophet, pay him off, get my miracle, and I'll be healed. So he heads with his entourage to Israel, finds out where the prophet Elijah is living and is there to be healed, Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He sends someone else to the door and tells Naaman to go wash in the river seven times and he'd be healed. You know, Naaman is this massive, very important military general. He's like, what are you talking about? The guy's not even going to come out of the house. He's not even going to, like, do some ceremony. He's telling me to go wash in the river. Our rivers in Syria are way better than the rivers here. I could have just done that. He goes, and it says, the passage says, he goes off in a rage. Okay, so at this point, you've you, you got to be thinking, this is not how, you, how this should work. <laughs> okay? Like, you, you, his unbelief, so far, is astounding. And yet, something amazing is getting ready to happen. Finally, Naaman gives in. He goes down to the river. He washes seven times. And it says that his flesh was made like that of a young child. He's healed completely. God heals Naaman in spite of his unbelief, in spite of him being an enemy to the people of God, in spite of him taking military campaigns and raiding and killing 
and hauling slaves off to his country. God heals him. Love your enemies. It's just an amazing story. I, I, we can, as we continue to study it, I was like, this, is this how God treats us? Yes, this is how God has treated us. You see, we are Naaman. We have leprosy. Worse than that. Because our leprosy will not just kill us here and now, but forever, for eternal life. And we can't clean it off ourselves. We need a miracle. We need God to heal us. But we are his enemies. And we don't believe in God. It took a miracle to bring Naaman to faith. I just, it, 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 it just reminds me daily how merciful God is to us in spite of our unbelief, in spite of our rage, in spite of our rebellion and, and what we, we do to, to run away from Him. He, he draws us back to Himself. And I think it's just a beautiful story of, of how we can live in harmony with one another. The, so what happens is, Naaman tries to, 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 he continues to try to give this million dollars to Elijah. And Elijah's like, dude, that's, that's even more offensive. You can't buy God off, okay? That's a whole nother sermon, right? You can't buy him off. That's not going to happen. You're not giving us any money. We're not taking your money. And the last words that Elisha says to Naaman are, go in peace. So Naaman, an enemy of Israel, has to go back to Syria and live in peace. Now, I I didn't do my research as to what happened between over the next few years after that incident. But I imagine that there might have been less raids from Syria into Israel. There might have been a time of peace, right? Because of what took place. Because Elijah humbled himself to take part in this healing of Naaman, to love his enemy, Is that not what we are called to do? To humble ourselves so that we can live in harmony? To to stop keeping score with one another? To, To stop keeping track of the record of wrongs that we have with one another? To put aside our differences? Because that is what Jesus has done with us. Living in harmony with one another is not always easy. It's actually, it's never easy. But it's always right. And living in harmony is living out the gospel. The good news that Jesus died so that we could live in harmony with God. Let's let this gospel of grace so infect and overwhelm us 
on every level that we have no other choice but to live in harmony with one another. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we are astounded by uh, these words from Romans 12, from the lips of, of, from your own lips in Matthew 5, to the story of Naaman in the Old Testament. We're astounded by how you constantly bring mercy, mercy and grace to those that don't deserve it. And we're not pointing fingers at others. We're looking in the mirror and saying, Lord, thank you for having mercy on us. It leads us to worship you, Lord. And it leads us to love other people, those around us whom we disagree with, who we struggle with, who we fight with. Lord, it leads us to desire reconciliation to desire harmony and peace. May you work that out in our lives, in our relationships. We pray this in your name. Amen.